We are going to continue today with our lessons in the parables of Jesus. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 37 to 42. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Uh, we're going to be covering the parable of the speck and the log. Uh, this is found in two places in Scripture. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And in Luke chapter 6, but we're going to, I'm going to be using the scripture from Luke because it's got a little more information and it gives us a little bit more, uh, a little bit more context. So I'm going to be using that one to teach from Luke chapter 6, 37 through 43. So as we come to our passage, uh, Jesus is, is teaching or preaching what we know today as the Sermon on the Mount. And we call it that because in Matthew chapter 5, it says, uh, Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so we call it the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't call it that back then. They didn't call it anything. Uh, but today, we know it as probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Uh, we also know it as probably the most famous sermon that, that anyone has ever, has ever preached. And, we, and if we try to describe this sermon that Jesus is teaching, we in one sentence, we'd probably say something like this, that that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, uh, a life that is free from hypocrisy, a life that is full of love, grace, wisdom, uh, and, and discernment. If we wanted to put it a little simpler, you could say this. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount is really about two things, how to relate to God and how to relate to man. By the way, which is what the whole Bible's about, is it not? The whole Bible kind of boils down to those two things, how to relate to God, how to relate to our fellow man. So he's teaching or preaching this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in, in Matthew, it covers chapters 5, 6, and 7. So it's a, it's, a, it's a long sermon. It covers a lot of different things. And somewhere near the beginning of his sermon, he says this. Look at verses 37 to 38. He says this, "'Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned.'" Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Now, he talks here about four things. Judging, condemning, forgiving, and giving. And if you note, these are all ways that we relate to one another, is it not? These are all ways that we relate to our fellow man. So in this portion of the sermon, Jesus is obviously concerned with actions that we take or things that we do that relate to, to one another, to our, to our fellow man. And in order to drive this point home, he adds one final statement to the end of verse 38. He says this, For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, you need to be careful how you do these things. You need to be careful how you judge, how you forgive, how you give, how you, whether or not you condemn. Because in the same way or the same measure that you do these things to your fellow men or fellow man, God will in turn measure it back to you. Now you think about it, this is just another way to repeat the second greatest commandment, which is what? Love others as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Measure to others in the same way you want it measured back to you. It's the same, it, it, that's the second greatest commandment. This is just another way 
to, to say these things. When you relate to your fellow man, when you forgive, when you give, when you, um, when you judge, do it in a way that you would want it done, uh, done to, to you. Now, at this point, Jesus has given us two very, uh, or exactly four uh, very plain and simple commands, right? Two in the negative and two in the positive. Don't judge, don't condemn, that's the negative. Do forgive and do give, right? Those are two, those are two positive. And if you look at those four things, I think we can all agree that three of them are pretty straightforward. In other words, they don't really need to be expanded upon. Uh, let me give you a, a, one of them. Condemnation. Condemn means that you sentence somebody. In other words, you pronounce final judgment and you actually say, this is your punishment. This is the sentence. Now, does anybody in here really think that as Christians, we have license to condemn anybody? Anybody want to argue that point? In fact, look at Romans 12, 19. Beloved, what's the word I underline there? Never. I underline it because in the Greek it means, it means never. Don't ever do it. Don't avenge yourself. Why? Because that's God's job. That's His job. His job is to, is to mete out punishment. His job is to mete out a sentence. That's not our job at all. So you, it says very carefully there, never do it. Never do it. So I, that's not even an argument. We are, that's not our job to condemn. We stay away from that. What about forgiving? Does anybody here think that as Christians we have a license to not forgive someone? Anybody want to argue that point? Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive other uh, people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. That's pretty straightforward, right? And if you try to make the argument like Peter did, well, wait a minute, what if they do it seven times in one day? What about that, Lord? What did Jesus say? I don't care if they do it 490 times a day. You keep forgiving. See, see Peter tried to make that argument. Jesus said, no, no, you keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. So there's really no reason. To, that doesn't need to be expanded upon. We are called to forgive. What about giving? You know, I would think of, you might say, well, you know, I can make arguments. There are certain times I shouldn't give. But if you read Luke 30, Jesus says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. That's not a whole lot of leeway there, is it? Give to anybody that asks of you. Well, what about that guy, Lord? He's, he's probably going to go buy a hit of crack with that $5. Give to everyone who asks of you. He doesn't leave us a lot of leeway there, does he? he? He wants us to be givers. Let him worry about the consequences. You be a giver. So, so out of those three things, really all of them tend to be pretty straightforward, but one of them is not straightforward at all. What about judging? Jesus says, it, it, it's of all those four things, it tends to be the most ambiguous, does it not? He says, don't judge. But then I can take you to John 7, 24, where Jesus says, judge with right judgment. I can take you scripture after scripture where we are told to judge. So Jesus here says, but don't judge. So what's he, what's he talking about? What, what is a, I mean, we all understand, right? You, you can't live your life without judging. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. For example, you discipline your children. I hope if you have children, you discipline them. But how can you discipline a child without making a judgment that they've done something wrong? You, we are to practice church discipline. Whether you understand that or not, we just studied this in 1 Corinthians. As a church, we're to practice discipline. But how can you discipline 
inside the church without making a judgment that somebody has done something wrong. The fact is, we have to, we have to judge. We, we can't get through life without, without making judgments. So this tends to be the most ambiguous. So I, I think we can agree that out of those four, that one needs more clarification. And I think this is exactly why Jesus gives us the parable of the speck in the law. He understands of all those four things, that one needs more explanation. I need, to, I need to give you a parable to explain what I mean when I say don't judge. So let's read. Start in verse 39. These are the immediate, just as he said that, these are the immediate uh, uh, verses that follow. Start 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't even perceive the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't even see the plank that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, he begins here with two rhetorical questions, right? We all, all know what a rhetorical question is, like, is the Pope Catholic? That's a, that's a rhetorical question, right? It means we all know the answer to that. It, it's obvious, right? So Jesus is starting with two rhetorical questions. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they n- not both fall into a ditch? Well, the answers to these are, are obvious, right? Of course, a blind person cannot lead another blind person anywhere. A blind person has to be led by someone, or in the case of, a, say, a seeing eye dog, something that can see. You, you need sight in order to be uh, led or to be led. So blindness now, by the way, just as a reminder, is used metaphorically both in the Old Testament and the New Testament for being void of truth, for having no spiritual sight, no, no spiritual insight. And this is numerous passages in the Old Testament. The one that we use in the New Testament over and over in this class is 2 Corinthians 4.4. It says this, talking about unbelievers, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what he's saying here, Paul is saying that unbelievers' minds are blinded. They're not blind physically, but spiritually they're blind. They see Jesus as a good man. They see Jesus as as a great teacher, but they don't see him as Savior. They don't see him as Lord. They don't see him as the very image of God himself. They can't see the beauty, the value, the glory of Jesus. They're blind. They're spiritually blind to that. Okay, So, So you can see here that blindness means you don't have spiritual insight. You can't see spiritually. Physically, you may be fine but you can't see spiritually. So we can see why Jesus would say something like, can the blind lead the blind, right? Because how can you judge spiritually if you can't see spiritually? So that makes sense when he says that. But he adds a statement in there that seems to me, and I hope it does to you when you read it, it just seems odd and out of place. Look at verse 40. Remember he asked the two questions, can a blind lead the blind? Well, obviously not. Won't they both fall into the ditch? Yeah, obviously that's true. And then he says this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that just sounds out of place. 
just doesn't quite fit right there. So I, I ask the question, as I always do, well, what is it in the world does that statement have to do with seeing or judging or blindness or anything like that? Well, let's think about our context here. Jesus is, remember, he's up on a mountain. He's teaching what we know in Matthew chapter 8. It says, when he came off the mountain, a great multitude followed him. So we know there's a lot of people there. We, we know at one time he fed 4,000, another time he fed 5,000, did he not? So there's at least several hundred, if not several thousand people sitting out there listening to him preach and, and teach. And, and it calls these people disciples. It says his disciples came to him. Now, you've got to understand the word disciple in the Greek literally means student or learner. Okay. Uh, these people would follow Jesus around in order to sit under his teaching, to, to learn from him. Now, keep in mind, in that day, the word disciple doesn't have any connotations about commitment. It, it doesn't say anything about their faith. It doesn't say anything about their love, their, their devotion, their, their worship, anything like that. Being a disciple is just a learner. It, it means you're, just, you're a learner, you're a, you're a student. And most disciples, what would happen in the ancient world, because Jesus is not, back then, people aren't writing books, right? There's no printing presses, there's no ballpoint pens, there's no, no, you know, there's no word perfect or anything like that that they could use. Nobody's writing books. I mean, they sit around and they teach orally. And most disciples in ancient times would choose a teacher that they would follow. That would kind of be their, their mentor, Right? And that was very common in that day. And so in this scenario, the teacher is basically trying to reproduce their beliefs in the student. Make sense? I, you know, the teacher's got a certain set of beliefs. A teacher come, uh, a student comes to them and he, he's teaching. He's trying to reproduce his belief in, or his beliefs in the lives of the student. Now watch what Jesus says. A disciple or a student is not above his teacher, but everyone, and, and look at those two words, who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, if you're a student and you are perfectly trained, that means that the teacher has told you everything they know. Make sense? Once you're perfectly trained under a teacher, that means that teacher has taught you everything that they know. Now, look what Jesus is saying. What he's saying here is that as a student or as a pupil, you cannot rise above your teacher, right? Once that teacher has told you everything they know, that's as far as you're going to go. You cannot know more than your teacher. You see, where your teacher stops, you stop. Whatever your teacher's limits are, that's your limits. Whatever your teacher's errors are, by the way, become your errors, Right? See, you cannot rise above the teacher that you choose to follow. That's exactly what... Go back and read that again. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will just be like your teacher. Okay? You cannot rise above the person that you, that you sit under. That's as far as you can go. Now, why is Jesus saying this? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure. I do think there's two reasons. And it, it could be one, he could have been... You know, teaching, it could have meant one of them, or more than likely he meant both of them. Here's the first reason. First of all, he's saying to us, how can you lead if you're blind? Right? See, in, in our life, sometimes we need to be teachers, and sometimes we need to be students. Yes or no? 
that we all got relationships in our life. And sometimes we're the teacher and sometimes we're the student. Well, the first thing he's saying here is from the point of view of the teacher, how can you lead if you're blind? You see, because spiritually we're called, as a parent, by the way, if you don't think I'm a teacher, sure you are. As a, as a parent, you're put in the role of a spiritual teacher, whether you like it or not. And so he's saying in the role of a teacher, when you have to take on that role, how can you do that if you're blind? You see, how can, how, can, how can we lead those anywhere into spiritual truth if we don't have spiritual insight? If we attempt to do that, those people can only rise to our level. They can never rise above that. If I'm blind, I'll just raise up a bunch of blind people, right? If I'm a parent without spiritual insight, I'll raise a bunch of children without spirit. They cannot rise above me as their, as their teacher. So that's number one. If you're teaching, be careful. Be aware that your students can't rise above you. Here's the second thing, though, and I think this is probably more probable. What he's saying to you and I is choose your teacher very carefully. Choose your teacher very carefully. You see, every one of us here, there are times when you need to be led. You need to be taught. That, that's true for you. That's true for me. And in these cases, we need to teach, we need to decide and choose very carefully who we come under. Because again, you can only rise to their level. I, I saw a saying the other day, uh, this had nothing to do with church, it was just in, a, in a, a work thing, and somebody said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Because if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not learning, you're not maturing, you're not growing. Find people who know more than you. Find people who, that's, I, I think that's great, but you better find the right person. Because you can only rise to their, to their level. Listen, if you're in here today and you're not getting anything out of this class, you need to go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Go find somebody that, that you can say, man, I want to go to where they are. Okay? I mean, be very careful who you choose as your teacher because you cannot rise above them. You can't go any higher. If they've got errors, if you're not very careful, those errors will become your errors. So choose your teacher very carefully. Here's the thing. If you're blind, here's another thing Jesus is saying. If you're blind, don't expect blind people to lead you to truth. Right? We got people in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this country in churches, and they're searching for truth. The problem is they've put themselves under blind people. You got a blind man sitting up there preaching every Sunday. You got blind teachers who are trying to teach, and you're not going to find truth under blind people. Blind people without spiritual insight are not going to lead you to truth. So if you're a disciple of a blind teacher, if you're a disciple of a blind leader, you can't ever expect to rise above their blindness. That's impossible. Because, by the way, when you know everything they know, guess what? You're still blind because they're blind. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, I want to chase a rabbit here for just a minute. I, don't, I try not to chase rabbits very often. But I'm going to chase one this morning. In Matthew uh, 23, 2 and 8, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says this, the scribes and the Pharisees, they preach, but they don't practice. Okay, you, you ever wonder where we get that saying, practice what you preach? It's from the Bible. He says the scribes and the Pharisees, they preach, but they don't practice. They, they love the place of honor at feasts. They, they love the best seats in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the marketplace. And listen to this, they love being called rabbi. And that word rabbi means teacher. 
They, they love people to pat them on the back and say, man, what a great teacher you are, right? But now watch what Jesus goes on to say. But you are not to be called rabbi. He's talking to his, his disciples now. He's talking to, to, to Matthew and Mark and Peter and, and John. He's saying, you're not to be called a teacher. You're not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, that is Jesus, or the Christ. Now, is Jesus saying to us that we're not to ever sit under teachers? Is that what he's saying? No. That's not what he's saying. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul writes this, and he, talking about Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the what? The teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. If we're not, if we're not supposed to call people teachers, then Paul just broke Jesus' commandment. And the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So Jesus is not worried about you calling that person a teacher or that person. That, that's not the point here. What he's saying is two things. First of all, don't think that any man or woman can ever take on the mantle of having absolute truth. Right? That mantle belongs to Jesus Christ alone. So don't ever go to... If you ever see a man that says, I got the truth, you need to run the other way. Right? Because that's, that man don't know what he's talking about. Don't ever put yourself under a person and look to that person and say, they got all the answers. They've, they've got ultimate truth. That man will belong. You have one instructor, and that is Jesus. Secondly, he's saying that we're to never look to an imperfect man or as our final and complete source. In other words, keep in mind, as, as you sit here today, and I've, I've said this a hundred times, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, you can't sit here and think everything that comes out of my mouth is absolute truth. That would be insane for you to do that. Jesus is truth. He not, he not only has the truth, he is truth. You look to him, okay? You look to him and long. Listen, you have one instructor, and that's Jesus. Now, it's perfectly okay to sit in a class like this we're doing today as long as you judge everything I say against him. That's perfectly fine. You can follow Paul. In fact, Paul says what? Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. You can get right in line behind Paul as long as you see Jesus right up there and he's right behind him. You can follow Henry. That's great as long as Henry's following Jesus. That's what he's saying. At the end of the day, you've got one teacher and that's Jesus. And any men and women that we sit under that teach us, we judge what they say against the words of Christ. That's the only way to go. Anything else, you're being led, you're being led blindly. So if, when, we're, when Jesus is our instructor, once we're perfectly trained, we'll be what? Like who? Like him. That's the goal, right, is to be like him. And, don't, and keep in mind, in the end, you're not, you know, you, if you choose to sit under me, that's great. I'll do my best to teach you and lead you as I follow Jesus. But in the end, you answer for yourself. Did I adhere to the words of Jesus? Did I listen to the words of Jesus? Did I act on the words uh, of Jesus. So, so when it comes to a spiritual subject like judging, don't look to other men to tell you how to do it. You look to Jesus because he alone has the answer. By the way, which brings us back to our subject. Look at verses 41 to 42. So this is what Jesus says about judging. Not Derek, not Henry, not Paul. This is what Jesus says. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't perceive the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. See, here's the problem when it comes to judging that we have as men and women. We can't fix other people because we can't fix ourselves, right? We, I can't solve your problem because I got so many problems of my own. That, that's an inherent problem that we have as imperfect men and women. In fact, the example Jesus gives is almost like a cartoon. The, the word speck in the Greek is karphos, and it literally means a small dry stalk. Okay, it's not a piece of sand. It's not a piece of dust like we get, you know, when allergy season. Anybody else got allergies? Like, you know, how your eyes, they just itch. And it's not talking about that. The word, it means literally a small dry stalk. You know, in that day, they were an agrarian society, and they had, you know, they talk a lot about barley and wheat and grain and the threshing floor. And so you get these, you had these dangers of getting these small little pieces of stalk or, or, or wheat or barley or whatever the case may be in your eye. That's what it means in, in the Greek. So it's like a, think of a, a wood chip or chaff or straw. And if you get something like that in your eye, it's a serious problem, is it not? I mean, it's a serious problem to me when I get a piece of dust in my eye, much less a, a small piece of wood. And so you've got this problem, and along comes this spiritual teacher. And this spiritual teacher says, man, I'm going to help you with that problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring virtue into your life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to God. I'm going to bring understanding into your life. And, and the idea is he's going to look in your life and he's going to find these little things that are wrong. He's going to get rid of them for you. The problem is that he's got a dokos in his own eye. And the Greek word dokos is literally if you go into a house and you know the center beam at the top of a house, especially in the old ways, that was that center beam. That's what dokos meant. So he's got a little straw shaft and, and, and that guy, you got a little piece of straw in your eye and that guy's got the center beam of a house sticking out of sticking out of his eye. That's literally what it, what it means. So if you looked at a cartoon, it would be something like that, right? He said, let me take the speck out of your eye, and he's got this, he's got the center beam of a house. He, not only can he not, not only is he blind and in severe pain, he can't even get close enough to you to even see. It, it's a cartoon. It's a play on words that, that Jesus is, is using here. Now, I want to close this morning by asking two questions. Number one, are we to judge other people? In other words, are we to remove the speck out of other people's eyes? Yes or no? Yes. 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 I don't, I, don't, I don't know how we don't know this. Yes, Jesus intends for us to be speck removers. He expects us to be involved in the lives of our fellow believers and help them remove the speck from eyes. I mean, just think about this for a second. You've got a piece of stalk in your eye right? You're driving down the road, you're swerving all over the place, you're going to kill somebody. Do you need help? Yes or no? Obviously, you need help getting that out. You're in pain. You can't see it. You, you, you can't get your eye open even to look in the mirror. You can't do it on your own. You need other people. That's obvious. Look at verse 42, I mean uh, Luke six forty-two again. He goes on to say, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, a hypocrite, and we all know this, it comes from the Greek term for actor. It literally means one who puts on a mask. In other words, you look one way to, other, to the outside world, 
but behind the mask, you're a, you're a completely different person. You, a hypocrite is someone pretending to be something that they're not. But see, guys, this parable, listen to me very closely. This parable is not about creating non-hypocrites who don't help people. That's not what this parable is about at all. The aim of this passage is to help us overcome our blindness so that we can turn around and help people. First, remove the plank that it's in your own eye. Then, you will see clearly to help people get the specks out of their eyes. This passage, this parable, is about helping us to become loving and helpful eye doctors in a matter of speaking, who can help our brothers and sisters uh, see God's will for their life, to get the sin out of their life. Listen, the idea that we are to be speck removers, that we are to lovingly and helpfully judge other people, that, that's found all through Scripture. I'm not just using one parable. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. The word admonish means correct. It means to get in their face, point a finger and say, you need to do this. Admonish them. Okay? See, the idea, how can you do that, by the way, without making a judgment? Would we agree? If you're going to admonish somebody, you've got to make a judgment that they're in the wrong. In this case, it's, it's specifically about being idle. James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see somebody wandering from the truth, you make a what? A judgment. That guy's wandering from the truth. I'm going to go bring him back. You have to judge in order to be able to do that. Second Timothy 4, 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reprove, rebuke. How do we do that without making a judgment that somebody is in the wrong? You see, the whole New Testament picture of church life is all about speck picking. You can't read the New Testament and tell me what church life is about with a, with, and tell me it's not about people helping one another. It's about brothers and sisters helping one another remove the specks from their, from their eyes. See, uh, Dallas mentioned it a while ago. This is why Galatians, scriptures like Galatians 6.1 are so important because they tell us how to do it. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't, don't be judgmental as you step into someone's life to, to try to help that person see what they're doing wrong. But now, don't miss this. You should do it. Right? In the Greek, it's an imperative. Admonish, rebuke, exhort, do those things. But Galatians 6.1 says, be very careful when you do it. Because here's why. This is very dangerous work. It's dangerous because it's in our nature to judge people. It's in our nature to exalt ourselves by pushing other people down. Yes or no? It's, that's in our nature. We, we make ourselves look better by pushing that person down. That's how we climb up. We, we get on top of other people. That, that's our natural way to do it. So it's very dangerous work. And by the way, that's why a lot of Christians have just completely given up on it. A lot of Christians say, no, I'm not. I, that's, you know, I, I love the Lord. I'm humble. I'm not going to pick anybody's specs out of their eyes. Who am I? 
And a lot of Christians don't even try. They've just given up on it entirely. So here, this leads us to our second and last question. As imperfect, Jesus said, get the plank out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to help those people remove the speck that's in eye. So here's our second question. As imperfect and fallible people, how can we ever know for certain that we are seeing clearly enough to remove the speck from somebody else's eye? That's a good question, isn't it? You're imperfect. You're fallible. You're, you're, you, you've got your own issues, right? How can I ever know for certain that I've got the log out? How, how can I ever know for certain that I can now see clearly enough to help you get the speck out of their eye? Well, to answer that question, we go back to Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are... Say that word with me. Spiritual. He doesn't say everybody. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what does that mean? See, I think this is the key to understanding what it is, is understanding what it means to be spiritual. It means, in a nutshell, you depend upon the spirit. You don't depend upon yourself. You don't depend upon your knowledge and what you know and all of that. You depend upon the spirit. You, you look away from yourself, and in hu- humility, you depend upon the Holy Spirit and the word that, that he inspired. Listen, Spiritual, is there anybody here perfect? Nobody is. And, and by the way, spiritual people aren't perfect. But they've taken their log, the log out of their eyes the best that they know how. They have repented of their sins. They have, they have cast themselves on the mercy of Jesus. They depend on the Holy Spirit. They walk in humility as very best that they, that they can. And here's the key to speck removal. Spiritual people have replaced the blindness of the log with the lens of Scripture. Let me say that again. Spiritual people have replaced the blindness of the log with the lens of Scripture. I've told this story here. It bears repeating. I've got a friend of mine that attends or used to attend Calvary Church in Fort Lauderdale. And I don't know, at the time he attended, they had... 10,000 people, 12,000 people. It was a huge church. And what they found was they, they couldn't keep up with the counseling. They just didn't have enough staff. And so what they would did, did is they reached out and they found mature couples in the church, just regular people, and they trained them to counsel. And him and his wife were, were one of these couples that they trained to counsel. And so he went to the training. And I was, I was talking to him about one night at dinner, and I said, well, how do you, you know? How do you do that? How do you keep from injecting your opinion into it? Somebody comes to you. They got financial problems. They got marriage problems. They got uh, pornography problems. Whatever they got, how do you how do you keep from 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 injecting your opinion? And he said, Well, when they train you, they train you. Every answer comes from Scripture. And I love that. Every piece of advice comes directly from the Word of God. Every piece of counsel comes directly, this is what the Bible says, this is what Jesus says, this is what Scripture says. It's never, this is what I think. And by the way, he said, he said sometimes the person you're counseling, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. They don't, they don't want to hear what, what Scripture has to say about that. But he said, that's not, your, that's not your problem. You still give what Scripture says. So spiritual people have replaced the blindness of that log with the lens of Scripture. Spiritual people still don't look through their own eyes. They look through the lens of Scripture and say, this is what the Bible says. See, spiritual people really believe what Paul wrote to Timothy. 
He wrote to Timothy, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching for reproof for what? Correction. See, I don't come to you and say, Man, I really think what you're doing is wrong. That's, that's completely wrong. If I come to you and I say, Brother, this is what Scripture says. Can we talk about this? This is what Scripture tells us we should be doing as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. I mean, that's, that's speck removal done, done the right way through the lens of Scripture. You see, guys, this is what the Bible's about. It, it's there to help you get the log out of your eye. But it's also there to help you help other people get the specks out of their eyes. And that's what, that's what the Bible's here. It's, it's a manual to live this life, but it doesn't mean that we sit back, I can't judge. That's, that's not the point at all. The point is to help, to assist, to, to help people see the, the will of God for their lives and then to walk in that, in that will. So the question I asked as I started was, how can we ever know for certain that we've got the log out of our own eye so we can see clearly? You can't know that. You can't know that for certain, but that's not the issue. L let me ask you a question. You know, let, me, let, me back, let me go ahead and I'll come back to this. If someone you love is drowning... Your granddaughter, your daughter, your, your child is 100 yards offshore and they're drowning. Are you telling me as a parent and as a grandparent that you would sit there and say, you know, I just ain't sure I can make it out there. I just can't be certain that I got enough strength to get out there and make it back. Anybody going to think that way? What do you do? You just take off. If I, if I don't make it back, I'm going to die trying. See, certainty is not the issue. When, it, when you love somebody, you don't have to be certain you can do it. You just do it because you love them. See, certainty is not the issue. The issue is humility and Scripture and love and prayer. That's how you judge with righteous judgment. You do it in a humble way. You do it based on Scripture. You pray a lot about it, and you do it completely out of love. Listen, I ran across this statement, and, I, and there is nothing more true about the church. God has set up the church so that imperfect, infallible, even uncertain people are called upon to rescue one another. Let me say that again, because I love that, that quote. God has set up the church so that imperfect, fallible, even uncertain people are still called upon to go and pull each other out of the fire. Okay? Because we love one another. We don't have to be certain that I've got the log out of my eye. I just I, I worry about Scripture, humility, love, and I deal with that in prayer. The same is true when I talked about helping a, a loved one that's drowning. The same is true here in the church. If we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should never let uncertainty or fear keep us from the process of speck removal because that is what we are called um, to do. All right, we had a question. That's right, yeah. We're called to judge. Again, remember what we talked about here. It's the church, right? It's brothers and sisters. It's not my job to judge those outside the church. That's, listen, we, they need Jesus, right? Kathy and I were talking about this this morning about somebody, and we just said they need Jesus. That's where that all starts. Before they know Jesus, we're not in the business of speck removal. It's, it's among brothers and sisters and family that love one another. Listen, we all got family, and some of our family are great.